Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. This week on Top Docs Radio, you're going to be talking with the physicians from Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Specialists. They're a plastic surgery group located near the St. Joseph Hospital on their campus in the 5673 building. We've done some work with them from our own practice uh, through Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia over time. We know these doctors really well, so we're really happy to be able to sit down with some of their specialists, talk about some of the procedures that they're able to provide for their patients, uh, both trauma, cancer treatment, and, and then, of course, aesthetic. Uh, treatments as well. And uh, I'm sitting down right now with a very highly trained Dr. Nunn, who's uh, part of the practice. Tell me a little bit about your story, Dr. Nunn, because from what I understand, you're kind of unique in your field with regards to the number of board certifications that you have um, around your plastic surgery practice that you're able to actually kind of take all of those residencies that you did, three of them from what I understand, and actually fold them into the benefit of your patients here in your plastic surgery practice. So thanks for taking some time and uh, kind of run through your story for me. Tell you, tell me how you got here. Yeah, I'm glad, glad to be here today. Um, well, I kind of look at uh, my training uh, as sort of cross training in, in uh, sports. You know, uh, one aspect will kind of complement and enhance another. So I, I did do a lot of schooling. I, uh, First started off, uh, I did. Uh, I was a biochemistry major at Virginia Tech, and uh, finished there and went to dental school at uh, Medical College of Virginia VCU in Richmond, Virginia, and got my dental degree. And I did oral and maxillofacial surgery at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And then I uh, I practiced maxillofacial surgery for a few years, and I always liked school, so I decided <laughs> I to go. So. I decided to go back to get my medical degree at uh, Medical College of Virginia VCU, and I was originally just going to do the medical degree and just continue to do maxillofacial surgery alone. But then, as I got back into school, I sort of said, "Well, I'd like to get some additional training." So I did a year of general surgery there in Richmond at uh, MCV VCU. And then I did a otolaryngology head and neck surgery residency down at Eastern Virginia Medical School in Norfolk, Virginia. And then I uh, always wanted to continue the the <laughs> the, the uh, track, and I uh, uh, was accepted to UCLA in Los Angeles for plastic surgery residency. So I did two years of training there, and then I wrapped it up with a year of uh, uh, cosmetic uh, aesthetic surgery training in at uh, NYU Manhattan Eye Ear and uh, Throat Hospital in uh, New York City, and then I came to Atlanta. But uh, every residency and specialty that I uh, did, you know, there was a lot of uh, overlap. Right. But it's it's like uh, if the only uh, instrument you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. <laughs> That's right. And but when you look at uh, surgical procedures from different specialty viewpoints, it really does give you a whole different insight in how to go about treating something. And mm-hmm. and as a maxillofacial surgeon, you know, I never looked at the soft tissues like I did uh, as a plastic surgeon and. And uh, vice versa with the plastic surgery, you really know how to handle the soft tissues, but you may not know how to deal with the hard tissues. Right, the and, structures. And, yeah. and so there's a lot of uh, uh, things that are enhanced 
one specialty training to the other. And, and you know, to, I have done a lot of training in head and neck, but then I decided to do a full plastic surgery residency at UCLA and then the, your aesthetics surgery fellowship in New York. And because I didn't want to limit myself just to head and neck because when I see a patient, you know, they will bond with me and they'll say, Dr. Nunn, can you do breast or body procedures? Right. And I say, sure, yeah, we're trained in that. And, you know, and they uh, they would like the, the uh, whole situation and I had to choose multiple surgeons. So that's where I Now, am. if you're listening to Dr. Nunn describe, describe his story, for those who aren't familiar with the, the, the education that uh, dentists, for example, and oral surgeons go through. That's a four-year program in and of itself. Yeah, and then yeah. another three three to four years, depending on the program, for right. oral surgery right. residency. And then on top of that, did you have to go through two years of medical yeah, school? Yeah, I did two years of medical school. Yeah. I did the, the, the like second. Like DMD kind of program. Exactly. Second and the third year of medical school. <laughs> and then the year of general surgery. Then four years of ENT. And then two years of plastics. One yeah. year of studies. That's, it, that's amazing, the time that you've committed yeah. to your... Uh, academic training to become the surgeon that you are today. And I do think that it's uh, pretty interesting uh, as you describe the, the training that you have gone through, because they all do kind of face similar similar things, uh, obviously clearly around the head and neck. And each one kind of deals with a little different facet. As you talked about the plastic surgery side, you're, you're really focused heavily on the uh, soft tissue, but uh, rhinoplasty being one of the right. things that you do, obviously you're kind of messing with the, and re repositioning or restructuring the bones in, in the nose. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that's one of the things that you enjoy providing uh, as a service is some rhinoplasty or surgery on the nose, whether it's, I guess, post-traumatic or just aesthetic. Right. I, I think, uh, first of all, rhinoplasty is probably the most difficult procedure that a plastic surgeon does it's very very uh technically dependent and uh, it, it's the first thing that people look at when they look at your face mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh and i've seen some great looking noses that were done but the patients couldn't breathe through them yeah. so that's where the laryngology head and neck surgery aspect came in because, you know, most patients, they want to have an enhancement in the cosmetic aspect of their nose, but they want it to be useful, too. Of and so uh, that's one thing that definitely the having both specialties, uh, laryngology and uh, uh, ENT with the plastic surgery is a, a real big plus because, you know, you don't focus just on one aspect and you're able to give them a good airway. And and uh, that most patients want that as well as having a, a you know a, a great cosmetic result too. How often do folks come for rhinoplasty surgery for a functional reason? I'm having a hard time. Like for me, for example, I've broken my nose right, a couple right. of times, as you can see. And uh, so, how often does someone come for that kind of reason? I have trouble breathing through my nose versus I just want to change my nose. Pro probably, well, probably about half the patients that come in that I do rhinoplasty come in because they have a functional aspect. But, you know, no one that I've ever seen wants their nose to look worse when <laughs> I opened up their airway. So, sure, sure. And, and so I tell them that. I said, you know, if you're going to want the uh, external appearance of your nose enhanced, we can do that at the same time. And, but otherwise, you know, we're working strictly on the inside. And, um, and uh, insurance will a lot of times cover that sort of thing. But most people don't realize that you kind of burn bridges if you go in and open up the airway because a lot of times you're taking cartilage out to straighten the airway up mm -hmm. that you would utilize to help reshape the external nose. And so mm -hmm. I, I, they kind of go hand in hand. So um, about half the patients, though, that I see come in strictly wanting just the, 
the reconstructive aspect and but then they'll kind of say well while you're there could you go ahead and take the hump down or straighten it up and do (laughs) those things and so it kind of evolves into that but then there's another cadre of people that come in and just want to to change the shape of their nose, but they have to realize that you have there's certain things you can do and not do that will affect their airway. So yeah. you have to kind of educate them a little bit. Sure. So if you're coming for something, say you're having trouble sleeping at night because right. of airway obstruction through right. your nose, some sort of bony deformity or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, um, insurance pays for that. Insurance covers that, and some patients that they will have maybe some sleep apnea issues gotcha. or some, uh, it may, a lot of times it's secondary to trauma, sporting accidents, or, you know, almost everybody's had a, a nasal trauma of some sort in, in their life, and some of it's a, uh, just a facial growth, and that's one thing where the maxillofacial surgery comes in uh, to play also, because a lot of times people have uh, abnormalities in their, in their, uh, facial growth that will cause a malocclusion in their either their upper jaw will grow too much or or their lower jaw will not grow enough and it also you know the nose is hooked to the maxilla so those uh, deformities there will also affect the airway in a lot of patients and some of those patients that are having their jaws moved around will also subsequently need nasal surgery to help open up the airway and correct a uh, cosmetic deformity of the nose so again the ENT the maxillofacial and the uh, plastics all kind of key together uh, from different viewpoints. Sitting down with Dr. Donald Nunn, plastic surgeon with Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Specialists. And when you're talking about rhinoplasty or mm-hmm. nose surgery, right? What can a patient expect as far as you know the process, the recovery time from it, that kind of thing? Well, it, it, ironically, uh, patients uh, recover pretty rapidly from that. I mean. I've had some patients that have it done on a Friday and go back to work on Monday. But you're not laid up, but, you know, you're going to have a splint on your nose. And and a lot of times they just say, I bumped my nose and I broke my nose. And basically that's what was done by yeah. surgery. They don't have to tell them they had a rhinoplasty, you know. They, and yeah. you have a splint on your nose just as you would if you had uh, fractured your nose at the hospital. How long do you have to wear that? One week. Okay. And so everything is on for a week. The stitches are out in a week. The splints are out. There's usually some internal splints inside the nose as well as external splints on the nose. And all of those are removed at one week. Now, the patient is swollen and has some bruising, but most of it's pretty uh, camouflageable by a week. Mm-hmm. It takes probably months for you to see the final results like watching grass grow after the first month it's a very slow process yeah. but if you look at photos of a patient at a month and then look at them at six months and look at them at a year you'll see changes that but it's it's not something that you can just see daily i see and people have to be patient there's some hand holding and you know this is not the final thing people will start seeing a little bump here a little swelling there yeah. and those things just take time to settle down i and, see but uh, it, they they are very, you know, happy patients. You know, there's uh, 99 and 9% percent are very happy, but there's that small percentage that, that God can't please. And, uh, yeah. you know, you, you do your best, but, you know, some people have unrealistic expectations as with any procedure, whether it's cosmetic or reconstructive. Sure. And with your background in OMFS or oral surgery, mm-hmm. are, are you still doing orthognathic surgery? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. And a lot of times those patients will subsequently get a nasal procedure secondarily. Uh, you can't do I mean, some people try to do uh, nasal surgery at the same time to do maxillomandibular surgery, but you need an airway. Sometimes those patients have to be wired shut or, or held together with heavy uh, elastics during the early post-operative period. So they got to have some airway, so you want to keep the nose mm-hmm. uh, 
without uh, injury if possible so they can breathe. But a lot of times those patients will subsequently uh, have something uh, done to their nose. And I see a lot of patients that probably, that are older patients that don't want to go through orthodontics and have maxillomandibular movement, which would ideally get their bite at age 40. Uh, But so they'll get camouflage surgery. So in those camouflage cases, we can do certain things to the chin, like move the chin itself without having to break the jaws or or put a chin implant in, either genioplasty or a chin implant along with the rhinoplasty, and that will give a lot of the same appearances if it had both the maxilla or mandible move to correct the bite. Now, they're still going to have their bad bite, the bite problems, but cosmetically, if you looked at them, they would look as though they had the the whole uh, uh, procedure of the maxillomandibular surgery, but without the the downtime that comes with that. So the downtime with uh, a genioplasty in nose is pretty much a week versus the downtime with moving your maxilla and mandible is a month or six weeks before you know you're you're really back up to full speed. I see. And and so as it comes to the person that's going to do a chin implant, like you say, maybe right. they have a, a, a deformity of the mandible right. where it's maybe not quite in the right place, where right. I guess the, the best treatment, if you will, would be to correct the bite so that they don't have the problems that can come with uh, an exactly. bite. But you need uh, a couple of years of orthodontics for that, and you need I to move see. the jaws around. So and it's quite do, a process. It's a huge process and a big commitment. And in adults, orthodontics takes a lot longer than in teenagers right, because everything's things separate. don't move as well. And so it's a bigger ordeal, and adults just don't do as well with that type of surgery. as. But I've done it on adults, but mm-hmm. they don't do as well as uh, younger kids. Well, I know that you're busy. Where I'm, I'm here in the office with you today, yeah. and you're taking some time in between patients. Do you have any other thoughts that we want to share with uh, our folks out there listening today before we have to get you back seeing patients? Uh, I just, I, I would like to tell patients, you know, just uh, spend some time researching your surgeon. Some people spend uh, more time looking for a pair of shoes than they do researching their doc, mm-hmm. and I think that's important to choose someone that has. Uh, proper credentials that's board certified in, in the, the, uh, the specialties that they're doing. And I'm, there's no right or wrong person to do surgery, but you really need to check out your doc because you don't want to look for bargains. I tell patients not yeah. to look for bargains in particularly par- in this kind of field in parachutes or plastic surgeons, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a great analogy and, uh, because you'll, you'll get what you pay for a lot of times. And, um, and, you know, uh, you want someone who's ethical and will stand by them and, and get them through the procedure because you, there's surgeons aren't gods. They can only do so much, and they will, uh, if you get the right surgeon, you know, he'll stick with you until you're healed and give you the best result possible. As it relates to interviewing a physician to determine whether or not they're a good fit um, for what you're needing to have done, are there particular questions you would recommend somebody ask? You know, I'd, I'd want to know their training, of course, and, and if they're board certified. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd ask them, to, could you have uh, some, could I speak to some uh, okay, your so previous it's, clients? It's, it's okay to ask them. Yeah, I, I think most surgeons, that they would give you the name of someone and that uh, has had a similar procedure, and that, that's probably a good way to really uh, get into uh, the, the meat of the problem and see if, if that's the right surgeon for you. Well, clearly, uh, if folks end up here with Dr. Nunn here at Atlantic Plastic, uh, Plastic and Reconstructive Specialist, going to be sitting down with a very highly trained physician. In fact, from what I understand, you're the only plastic surgeon practicing that has 
board certifications across three specialties as you've had well, you completed well, residencies. There's in three. probably other guys that have had, uh, you know, uh, uh, training in three specialties. Not in ENT, oral surgery, and plastic right. surgery. I'm yeah. only one to my knowledge. I, I don't <laughs> think anyone else is uh, insane enough to try all that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, what a button for punishment going through all of that training. But I have to say that uh, I'm sure that that makes you a, a very great choice for somebody who needs to have either head or neck uh, types of procedures and, and the other uh, aesthetic type of things that they might come to you for. Well, I, so. I hope so. I mean, that's my, that's my hope. Well, I want to say thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule today. I'll try to get you going back with your patients, and uh, we'll be sitting down with uh, another one of your colleagues here pretty shortly. Thank you. Very glad to do it. Thanks so much. It was a treat getting to sit down with Dr. Nunn of Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Specialist. And coming up next, we're going to be sitting down with his colleague, Dr. Bear Ghazi. sitting down with Dr. Bear Ghazi of Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Specialists, getting to know him a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your story. From what I understand, you've trained here in Atlanta, been here for several years. Um, Talk a little bit about your story, where you got your training, and kind of what led you into plastic surgery. Yeah, well, thanks for having me today. I started out in general surgery at Emory and uh, did five years of general surgery at Emory, received my board certification from there. And went on to plastic surgery. I just loved everything about it. You could be everywhere in the body. You can do cosmetic surgery. And just overall, you made people feel feel well. You did you did a lot of good. You both restored their function and the way they look. And that, that really makes a lot of difference to people in their day-to-day lives. And it's really important. And I could see that result. That's why I love plastics so much. So after I finished five years of general surgery, I finished three years of plastics at Emory and, you know, learned so very much. I spent a little bit of time in Belgium. I went to Ghent and Brussels and I did uh, some cosmetic work over there and learned a little bit from those folks in Europe. What kind of focus were you working on there? So in Europe, I did a little bit of uh, two broad-based categories. I did one breast and reconstruction fellowship in Ghent and Brussels. I worked with uh, a little bit of microsurgical stuff there and uh, cosmetic breast surgery, and then in a place called St. Martin Latam in Brussels. Um, it's clo- just close to Brussels. It's closer to Ghent, probably, um, by train, but I lived in Brussels. We did cosmetic surgery, the face, breast, and body, and uh, spent, you know, probably a little over six weeks while I was there just learning. Kind of what a tricks. cool experience. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I really loved uh, working with the folks up there. They're pretty well-known. Um, they work from people really all over all over Europe and uh, Russia. Actually, they got a lot of people from Russia, so it was a great experience. Just got to see how the European masters do it, and uh, really just experienced uh, the difference in, in approaches. And, and I was going to ask a that lot. in Europe, do you see as it as it relates to how we do things here? I mean. What kind of differences do you find uh, in terms of approach or technique, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's actually just the little differences, I think, that really result in your in your cosmetic procedure being better. You know, that's what I was really looking for. Like, how can I make things better? Mm-hmm. And a couple of things that really stood out to me was just their approach to the normal things we do. What they do is very similar to the mechanics of what we do here. Mm-hmm. But what they use and how they do, it's a little bit different. You know, most of us raise, for example, when we do a tummy tuck, we mm-hmm. just use the cold cautery. And we use it. Over there, they feel like that has too much thermal energy and it can contribute to seromas for them. Yeah, Yeah, so I've gotten away from using the bovie as much and I use a little bit of the knife when I can, a little bit of tumescent fluid. And I really think that helps with your seromas. So I think these little details that you pick up really help a lot. They do a lot of their stuff. I do um, under some sedation, I do liposuction. I, I do that well. And I do that comfortably now after spending some time because the majority of the liposuction they do in Europe is under sedation. 
So these versus are little, general anesthesia. Versus general anesthesia, wow. yeah, yeah. Particularly large volume liposuction, you know, with just a little bit of anesthesia and the right administration of local anesthetic, you can go a long way to make somebody feeling remarkably comfortable. Wow. Save them a general anesthetic and really get them the result they want. That's amazing. And and for for those folks who are listening that aren't physicians today, when he was talking about cautery and the bovi, uh, there in surgery, the physician's able to use a device that's kind of it's it's kind of like a welder, if yeah, you will, yeah, for no, the yeah. for the for the soft tissue. It, it acts like a knife in a way. You're able to cut the tissue with it using uh, energy and it thermal energy, as he talks about. So it, it's kind of burning the skin. Yeah, and anybody that level. has any kind of surgery from you know a mole to a gallbladder to anything has this yes, type of procedure. It's, it's the most common instrument yeah because it cuts down on bleeding yeah it's almost in every single case and i think it's interesting how one of the the techniques that you picked up there was kind of getting away from that a little bit and and modifying your techniques to use that minimally so that you're not dealing with the scarring that you talked about could potentially because all the obviously as it relates to plastics that's what everything is about it's about very clean lines when everything comes back together and making sure that it almost is invisible if at all possible um and and you mentioned a seroma that's kind of a little just a little bit of fluid collection you know what you know we all use energy and they use energy over there as well but just focus energy you know it's like when i do uh little facelifts like mini lifts under local anesthetic as well you just really need to let the, the the fluid really sit there for a while and just use focused energy and take your time it's really attention to detail and taking your time that's what i tell everybody when they ask me about these these quick lift procedures that they they see advertised um that may that may be a shorter time period but it's not better and when somebody takes their time and does things right your overall recovery is quicker you've saved more time in the end i'm sitting down with dr bear Ghazi from atlanta plastic and reconstructive specialists here on the saint joseph campus a group that we've worked with uh, on a number of occasions from our practice and we were talking a little bit about the training that he received uh, went for some additional training over in europe and and you mentioned uh, tummy tucks and liposuction uh, talk to me a little bit about the tummy tuck and the the liposuction uh, procedures who who should contemplate you know, going through one of those types of procedures, are there folks that maybe should stay away from that or um, or folks that, you know, kind of it would make good sense to go down that kind of path to have that sort of cosmetic procedure? Or are there other reasons outside of just pure cosmetics that it might make sense to have something like that done? Yeah, so for a majority of people that come in, um, either they've had a little bit of weight loss, have some extra skin, or somebody wants to get a little something taken care of, um, one of the most common types of body contouring procedures um, is focused on the trunk and the abdomen, and really they fall into two broad categories. So either liposuction or tummy tuck, also known as abdominoplasty. So the two broad categories are really defined by your anatomy. So the first thing I do is when I see somebody, I ask them kind of what their goals are, and then I take a look and see what they have available to accomplish those goals. Basically, if you have somebody with just excess skin mm-hmm. and fat, there's really no way just to do liposuction. Liposuction is a good tool to use in by itself if you have good quality skin and just some focal areas that really bother you. Because what we are as plastic surgeons, we're dependent on your own body's skin to really retract and redrape itself. And that's what I was gonna ask you is, at what point, if if someone has some weight to lose, for example, at what point do you pass into the place where even when you lose your weight, your skin won't have the elasticity or it won't be able to contour back basically with you when, when, you know, to the underneath structures, the loss of fat and that kind of thing, or growth of muscles. At what point do you kind of find where now the skin is actually, 
it's going to stay kind of loose now once you've lost your way. Yeah. So one of the best, uh, one of my uh, former mentors had just a wonderful way of putting it. Dr. Hester is great. He used to say that if you have a little pooch, that's okay. If anything's hanging, you probably need it cut off. Okay. Meaning if you feel like you have a little bit of something hanging over somewhere, either skin or just fat or skin and fat, which it most commonly is, um, you're probably going to need to have that excised in a surgical procedure, either like a small excision, like a mini tummy tuck or a full abdominoplasty. And the difference being whether or not we're going to bring those muscles back together. You know, after a woman has children, most commonly her muscles in the midline will separate. That's called a rectus diastasis. And the other part of a tummy tuck is that you remove the skin and fat, but you also tighten that muscle up to give her an improved contour. You can always see if you look at pre-ops and post-op pictures, patients that have had uh, muscle plication, which is part of a traditional tummy tuck, their contour, their waistline, and they're actually slimmer. Okay. They're narrower. You've tightened that cylinder down. So if I'm a patient that uh, I've had some obesity that I've dealt with successfully, I've lost a lot of weight, uh, I'm going to get the contouring surgery of the tummy tummy tuck that you're talking about. Um, What's a reasonable expectation for my cosmetic outcome? You know, what am I going to look like naked? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the most important things we do here and particularly you know in my practice is I talk to people before I see them essentially undressed that way I'm not biased in my presentation and everybody gets the same presentation and what I tell them really is your results really dependent on what you have we're all different people Mm -hmm. and some people can have an outstanding result just based upon their anatomy and what they're presenting with and those people tend to be moderately sized women who have mild to moderate obesity you cannot have moderate to severe or heavy tissues and expect a great result. And that have had children and have a lot of excess skin. That's the ideal patient, really, for removing it and putting the muscles together. Because it's still very elastic and it's, compliant. It's exactly compliant. Okay. They just they have a little bit of a focal area. If somebody has you know overall diffuse obesity and they just come to me and say, "Can you cut off this large hanging piece of fat?" We can definitely do that. That's actually a very, very, very great first step in helping people lose a lot of weight. That's mm-hmm. called a pendiculectomy. Okay. It's a little bit different of a body contouring procedure, and that's basically for people that are pretty heavy and right. just need to get their mobilization up, their activity little, level higher, right. and be able to exercise a little bit more without you know just a big segment of fat hanging around. And I would imagine from a quality of life perspective that for that kind of person where they they have a, a measure of uh, fat that, that causes that kind of a hanging down in the front there, that there's got to be some relief in terms of like back problems and different things like that that would come from that kind of a, a weight imbalance. Yeah, I've always been really surprised by how great people feel. I mean, literally, it's just removing pounds and pounds and pounds of unnecessary fat. Um, but the most dramatic thing we see is the impact it has on their day-to-day activities and their ability to exercise. Um, often I'll see people that are really kind of heavy and not good candidates for a traditional abdominoplasty just come in for an abdominoplasty, have that boost to lose more weight, and mm-hmm. then they're back in six months to eight months to a year for a tummy tuck. It's great, and they feel wonderful, and they've lost a lot of weight. Well, I've been sitting down with Dr. Baragazzi from Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Specialists, and I've had the, the opportunity to be able to sit down with them here in the office, so I know I'm catching you in between your patients. Are there other um, things that we need to get out there that uh, would be useful for the folks to know about before I get you back to your patients? 
One thing is uh, is always nice to talk about, and we always talk about this when we're uh, meeting down with folks like yourself, and thanks for coming out today, is right now is a really good time to, if you're thinking about doing something for the summer, just to come on and have somebody talk. You know, most of us are really readily available and open to questions, and that's typically called a consultation. Just feel free to call us if you need anything. And um, usually the recovery period for these things is a lot less than people think. You know, everybody's going to feel a little bit sore, like they did some sit-ups or some crunches after a while, but mm-hmm. um, that typically gets much better in 10 to 14 days. And okay. then you're just basically just, just recovering a little bit of the soft tissue. Having watched a few of those procedures on some of the weight loss type programs, for <laughs> example, they look like they're, you know, would be excruciating, but it's kind of nice to know that you know, obviously everybody's different, so somebody could end up being sore, but it, it doesn't sound like it's earth shattering. Oh it's, my God, yeah, the, it's the really period not. of we recovery ha- is terrible. Yeah, we have the, we're, we're really fortunate to take advantage of some really new innovations in anesthetic, local anesthetics that we use here in the office, and we make those available to all our patients. It's very similar to having an indwelling pain pump. Um, that we inject at the time of surgery, and there's no wires or anything hanging out. It's uh, it's long-acting medicine that's bound to these special molecules, and it's, it's very well-priced, and it's just absolutely been just a godsend for our patients. They're up and walking around the next day. Getting ready to sit down with you, I kind of looked at over your, your biography, and I, I noticed, that, of course, that you, you have a full scope of practice. You treat patients that um, need cancer surgery, for example, of the breast and reconstructive surgery after cancer treatment. Uh, so you do the full gamut, if you will, of plastic surgery for the body. Uh, I saw that you had received an award for best surgical innovation. You want to talk about that? What was that all about? Oh, yeah. Recently, we just went to the American Society of Plastic Surgery, and a colleague of mine, Dr. Moyer, and I um, presented a, a new concept in, uh, in skincare and skincare rejuvenation. We started a company based upon that, and we got a little bit of seed money. So oh. um, the company's called Accelerate. It's a skin cream, and we'll be, uh, we'll be starting to get that out here pretty soon. We've got some things going. It's patent protected, and uh, we're both very excited about it. That's awesome. And uh, I've met Dr. Moyer. Doesn't he practice up in Northside, Foresight? Yeah, okay, he sure yeah. does. Yeah, um, yeah Hunter. Hunter Moyer. Yeah, that's we'll right. have yeah. to we'll have to sit down with him sometime, or maybe yeah. the two of you can go over We'd your new innovation. We'd love to do that. Yeah, we'd love we'll, to have. We'll a do a sec. focus on that as well. Love to. Um, Bear, thanks for, so much for taking some time to sit down with me today in the middle of your uh, patient day. I'll let you get back to your patients, but uh, thanks again for sharing some information about uh, tummy tucks and uh, liposuction and some of the procedures that you're able to do. Clearly, the physicians that we're working with here at Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery are you know, of the highest order with regards to the training that they've undergone, and we can certainly recommend them having worked with them from our own practice. So pleased to be able to sit down and help you get the word out about what you do here at your practice. Thanks again for having me. I appreciate your time. All right. We'll be talking to you again real soon. Coming up next, we've got Dr. Suzanne Bedford from Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Specialist. Stick around. Next up, we're sitting down with Dr. Suzanne Bedford here at Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. And as I was reading your biography before we got started today, I saw that uh, that you've published a few articles on the subject of breast augmentation and reconstruction, and uh, you've put a lot of work into your training in that background. You want to take me yes. through kind of your background in, in training? What what kind of got you inspired to go into plastic surgery? And then we'll kind of work our way through your training and, and, and talk about some of your focus here, uh, as we talked about with um, breast augmentation and reconstructive surgery. Okay. Well, I went to medical school at the University of Pittsburgh and 
did not envision going into surgery at all. What, but, what were you originally planning to do? Um, uh, either pediatrics or emergency medicine, and both I quickly found were not a good fit for me for various reasons. And I really liked working with my hands, which um, I had known all my life, but um, didn't quite put the connection together until medical school, which is appropriate for a lot of people, but I met someone um, who was a real inspiration for me, was my mentor in medical school, loved plastic surgery, loved um, the diversity about it, and really was able to sit down and talk with him about how I could fit it into my lifestyle because I already had two children in medical school and Mm. was really concerned about doing a surgery residency, and he was... um, very supportive. So. so it's general surgery and then what, three years? Is that right? Two or three years for plastics on top of that? It's changed over the years. Um, but when I went through, I did an integrated program where I did three years of general surgery. And then I actually spent two years in the lab. And then I spent <laughs> um, two years doing my plastic surgery residency. And then I did an additional year fellowship yeah, at Georgetown. Well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and talk about that, because from <laughs> what I understand, there were some experts there that you were able to gain some benefit of their knowledge for. Yeah, I was very lucky lucky to be able to work with both Dr. Scott Spear and Dr. Maurice Nahabedian. I worked with some of the other physicians um, at Georgetown as well, but those were the main two. And if you look up anything on breast surgery, you will see Dr. Spears' name pop up all over the place, as well as Dr. Nahabedian. Um, in different aspects, Dr. Nahabedian has a lot of experience with flaps, um, but other aspects of breast reconstruction and breast surgery as well. And Dr. Spear has written many articles on various aspects of breast surgery as well, so it was very beneficial. I noticed that one of the comments is it talks about microsurgical breast reconstruction. And as it relates to breast reconstruction, what are we talking about when we say microsurgery for, for the breast? Well, when we talk about microsurgery, there are several options for breast reconstruction, some involving use of tissue, some involving implants, um, and maybe even a temporary implant. But when we talk about microsurgery, we're actually taking a portion of tissue from one place and moving it to another so far enough reach that you actually have to disconnect it and reconnect it so you're basically putting the plumbing back together and it's very tedious Mm -hmm. and I I would imagine that doing something like that gives you a pretty good outcome when it's coming with a blood supply like that so the healing process and and the final cosmetic outcome probably has a good opportunity there. The final cosmetic outcome is very good when you can use the patient's own tissue, but there are some risks. When you're disconnecting and reconnecting, you have that possibility of basically having an issue with the plumbing, having a clot or something form, and it can be complicated and it can carry its own risks, but if everything works out well, it actually offers the best a cosmetic result for breast reconstruction. And can you talk a little bit about the process when a woman comes to you or is referred to you as part of the, the, the breast cancer treatment process? At what point do you get involved? Um, and can you share a little bit about how you determine what path we take? Because from what I understand as it relates to reconstruction, sometimes the, the woman has some choices as to the, the route you go with how you're going to perform the reconstruction if I'm not Right. Most of my patients will come to me referred from their breast surgeon, but occasionally someone will have had surgery years ago and and maybe wasn't told about the option of reconstruction, so they'll find me by some other means, a friend, website, 
um, word of mouth, physical therapy. But when they do come to me, we actually go over all of the options. And we're lucky that there are several different options. And not everything is the right fit for every patient. So Mm -hmm. we go over everything so that they are at least informed about all of the options. And then we discuss their background as far as their cancer, what treatments they've had or what they will need and how everything fits into their lifestyle maybe and what might be a good option for them given their lifestyle, their health, the surgery that they're going to be expecting and what outcomes they're looking for. And, and from, from a timeline perspective, when do we do the breast reconstruction as it relates to their cancer treatment? How, how soon after, how long does the wait come? Because from what I understand, sometimes mm-hmm. if you're going to do implants, for example, there's a time where you're having to use spacers, I believe, that mm-hmm. or expanders, if you will, that will kind of create a space to, for you to be able to do implants. So what's the process like from, from the time perspective after my cancer treatment? It does depend on the patient and their treatment, but if we can do something in the immediate setting, meaning at the time of their mastectomy, Mm -hmm. we're going to get a better result. That's not always possible, so we can sometimes do it at a later date, even years later, in a delayed fashion. But we are going to get a better result if we can at least start the process in the immediate setting. And some patients can go straight to an implant right after a mastectomy. Some patients may need an expander, like you talked about. It's a temporary implant that we can use to increase the breast size over time and stretch out the tissues uh, in the meantime. And sometimes we can replace that with their own tissue or an implant later. It just depends on what their course of treatment and their goals are. So as it relates to going in and doing a mastectomy, for example, there's times you're you're, you're saying that you're actually kind of tag teaming with the breast surgeon who's doing the mastectomy where you're going to then take over and do the reconstructive surgery all in one right there? Most times, yes, that's how the process works. And it's very helpful because the patient comes in, starts the process. They don't have to go through a period of time where they don't have their breasts. And it saves them another trip to the operating room and to the hospital. Right. And it actually gives us better results. So all in all, if we can do that, that's the way to go. I'm curious, how do if, if I've had radiation as part of my treatment, and many of them clearly have, how does that affect the surgery process? Does it affect the the healing process, do you find? Or how does that kind of affect your work? It does. It affects it probably more so than anything else. And unfortunately, uh, it can make the cosmetic result less appealing. But there are ways that we can help uh, make it better. But we do have to take all of that into account. It used to be years ago that anybody that had radiation, you would not be able to put an implant in. And Mm -hmm. that's not really the case anymore. Although the results may not be as good, it does help in patients maybe that don't want to use their own tissue or aren't candidates to use their own tissue. They can still have implants. But sometimes we do need to use their own tissue to give them a better result to replace some of the radiated skin um, and help give them a better outcome. Talking with plastic surgeon Dr. Suzanne Bedford here at Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. They're a group that our practice has worked with over time for sure on some of these patients that we're talking about here. Um, Being a woman and and dealing with cosmetic surgery, obviously a a large number of the patients that come seeking this type of procedure, whether it's breast reconstruction 
rest reconstruction after cancer or women that are coming for more of a cosmetic surgery how do you find that being a woman helps someone with regards to their comfort level and being able to kind of relax and and go through the process with a little bit less anxiety as it relates to say breast augmentation for example or breast reconstruction and, and through that process i think it helps a lot of patients um very much so because like you spoke about um, they have uh, a connection with me that they might not have with another male physician and there are plenty of women who do choose a male physician and I love my male partners Mm -hmm. they all do a great job but for some women uh, they take comfort in the fact that um, I can speak to them about my own personal experience Um, I can relate to the things that they're going through um, I can just relate to them sometimes on a different level, which is important to them and makes a big difference to them. And I think trust is very important in the whole patient-doctor relationship, and that can go towards that as well. And I know, as with your colleagues today, I know I'm kind of interrupting your, your patient day today, um, and and I know that you've got patients to see after we're done here. Um, are there other things that we want to make sure that the listeners know about you and your practice here as it relates to either cosmetic surgery or the woman that may be facing some cancer recovery and going through the reconstructive process? Um, I guess I would just tell patients that, you know, if you're considering something, come in, talk to us. It never hurts to get information. We pride ourselves on doing a great job with patient education. And I find so many times that patients will say, oh, I've been thinking about this for years. Well, come in, talk to us. Maybe there are questions that, you know, you think you know the answer to, and maybe you don't have the right answer, and maybe we can reassure you and answer those questions and make you understand that this can be a very uh, comfortable process where we're going to hold your hand and walk you through everything. Um, you know, and sometimes patients aren't told in as far as breast reconstruction that they might be a candidate. They're told to wait. Um, and it never hurts to talk to somebody, even if that's still the answer that you get, at least you've seen a plastic surgeon and you have that information from them and you can go forward with that. Well, if you want more information about the Atlantic Plastic and Reconstructive Surgeons, you can find them on the web at atlplasticsurgeons.com. They've got great biographies about each physician. Uh, You can check out their background. Everyone I've spoken to today here in the office has clearly come from... uh, a significant volume of, of training. I've been impressed by uh, the, the backgrounds for each one of you as re- relates to your academic efforts for sure. And uh, as I mentioned, having been a practice that's worked with your group over time, we can certainly say that we would recommend you as, as uh, you know, experts that would be able to help somebody with either reconstructive work if they're dealing with uh, cancer survivorship or you know they're looking for something on the cosmetic side. Clearly, the physicians that are here in the group are going to be well-trained and, and capable and personable too. Uh, That's the other thing about this is that uh, being able to sit down with somebody that has a pleasant personality to help you have a little bit less anxiety about the surgery that you're going to go through is going to be a key factor as well. Clearly getting to sit down and and listen to these physicians talk about what they're doing will help you get a sense of who they are before you even get here to the office. So thanks for taking some time out of your day, Dr. Bedford. Any last thoughts before we have to let you get back and see some more patients? I think you summed it up nicely. I think we're really nice people. We enjoy getting to know people, um, and we love to sit down and talk with you about our passion, which is our work.
Uh, I, I want to say thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule today to have me sit down with you all here in the office and um, in talking to Bear and, and uh, Dr. Nunn, sounds like there may be some opportunities down the road to come back and sit down with you all to pick your brain about other things that you do. Clearly, beyond breast augmentation, there's many things that you I'm provide afraid. as it relates to mm -hmm. skin care, for example, and other right. cosmetic uh, and aesthetic procedures that you can provide to somebody that, that might be good for them to be able to get a little information about. So be pleased to collaborate with you here on the show and, and uh, sit down with you again here in the future. That'd be fantastic. All right. Thanks a lot. Well, thank you. Uh, make sure you link up with the, the Top Docs radio show if you've not done so already on Facebook and Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. We tie in with all of our guests' social media there, and uh, clearly you'll be able to get information about the practices. They put information out about their social media um, feeds. We'll be able to share that with you as well. So get to know these physicians here at Atlanta Plastic and Reconstructive Specialists. If you're somebody or that's uh, looking for this kind of, uh, kind of care or maybe one of your loved ones is, clearly you're going to be in great hands. So uh, thanks for getting some, th thanks for taking time out of your day to get to know these physicians. And we'll look forward to sitting down with them again. Talk to you soon.